Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. But I'm really looking forward to this morning, but it is summer. We know it's raining, but we're all happy about that because we're back in our comfort zone. But let's keep it, let's keep it light, you know, we're, we're on, most of us are kind of thinking about holidays, let's start off with a light topic. Let's talk about politics. <laughs> now, if you're like me, your social media is blowing up with different people kind of voicing their opinions on, on different things. And uh, people feel quite strongly about politics, or at least some people do. They feel it's their responsibility to, to vote, their responsibility to pick a particular party and promote them and support them. Um, and as I was thinking about it this weekend, I I was thinking, actually, when we, when we read our Bibles, the, the early church were actually quite political. Maybe not in the sense that we think they weren't picking a, a particular party, but they were quite political because they were bringing a whole new kingdom. And this was a, we may not see it when we read it, but this idea of bringing a kingdom of God would have been very political at the time. It would have been a, an offense to all the other kingdoms on at the time. And so I want to look at this morning is this idea of the kingdom of God. First of all, kind of how it started and what is it? Then looking at what, our, what is our role in the kingdom of God? What are we called to do? And then the responsibility that comes with that. So we're starting off with the first point, kingdom beginnings. But before we can get into the beginning of the kingdom of God, we need to look at some of the other kingdoms that were around at the time. The most obvious one is the, the Roman kingdom or the Roman empire, and they were very much might is right. All they cared about were, if are you part of their kingdom, and if not, when can they conquer you, right? And once they'd conquered you, they actually didn't really care what you did. You could live your life however you wanted. You could worship whatever gods you wanted, just as long as you recognized they're in charge. And you recognize that the emperor is the top dog. And in some cases, they even expected that you worship the emperor. And so this was the Roman kingdom, the Roman empire. Might is right. We beat you up. We're in charge. And then you've got the kingdom of the, the religious leaders. These were the people that were in charge of the, the, the synagogues and the, the people of God at the time. And uh, the people of God have been without a king for about 500 years at this point, roughly. And so these religious leaders are waiting for a new kind of king to come to establish this new kingdom. And they were hoping that this new king would kind of kick out the Romans. So there was a little bit of military involved in there as well. But their main hope was that this new king would kind of uphold the religious laws. And so he would kind of promote and praise all the people that had followed the religious laws, the religious leaders. And then they'd punish all of the people that hadn't followed the religious laws. So the, the sinners. So their kingdom was very legalistic. This was what they wanted to see happen. And then there's a third kingdom I want to mention that I think we're kind of maybe a little bit unsure of, a little bit uneasy about. We don't really know how to talk about it. And it's the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is really just uh, all of the, the spiritual beings out there that are against God. And when we think about this, we often want to kind of use language like demons and devils. But the problem with that is there's a lot of preconceived ideas around that. Um, and it's not also the language that the Bible uses that much. So Paul talks about in Ephesians, he uses kind of this kind of language. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, 
against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so really, this, this kingdom stands for chaos, it stands for destruction, and it stands for kind of disconnection between people and between people and God. And uh, there's a lot of debate about kind of how much they're involved and at what levels they're involved. And so there'll be some that argue that they're involved with us on a personal level, so that they're kind of influencing us, they're feeding into the, the negative sides of who we are. So they feed into our pride, they feed into our selfishness, all with this same attempt at trying to break up relationships to bring disconnection, destruction and chaos. And then there are other people that go, well, we do believe in these, these spiritual forces, but we don't think they impact us on a personal level, but they are kind of on a much more kind of wider scale. So they're the, kind of the influences, again, just kind of tweaking things, influencing people and situations and bringing in injustices. So when we see slave trades or corruption, these are influences of the kingdom of darkness. Are we on the, are we the same page? We're kind of, and I'm really trying to balance this well, because what I want to be clear is that we're not naive on this topic. We're, we're aware of the influences, but that we don't all become kind of exercising demon chasers. It becomes very easy as Christians to get obsessed with this kind of stuff. I, I know Christians that kind of their, their car breaks down and they start trying to cast the demons out of their car. We're not talking at that level, but we're just kind of having an awareness that there's at least this influence that's going on, this other kingdom that's involved. And so in comes Jesus. And Jesus wants to introduce a new kingdom. And if you're looking at the kingdom of God, the book you need to look at is the book of Mark. Because Mark loves the kingdom of God. And so we're looking at Mark 1, and uh, Mark's introduced Jesus. Jesus has been baptized. He's gone to the desert to kind of prepare himself, and he just starts the ministry. And in verse 14, it says this, Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so we see the very first thing that Jesus does when he starts his ministry is to promote this idea of the kingdom of God. And so what kind of Mark's trying to convey here is that everything you see after this point, all of the rest of the gospel, is Jesus demonstrating and unpacking the kingdom of God. He is bringing it close. So let's look a little bit more of what the kingdom of God is. In this same first chapter, we pick up in verse 21. It says this, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so we begin to see that as Jesus is kind of bringing and implementing this kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness is getting worked up. It's, it's wanting to come against this. But Jesus isn't fussed. He says this, Jesus cut him short. Be quiet, come out of that man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. And so we see from this, from this get-go that the, the power of the kingdom of God forces the kingdom of darkness to flee. There's no battle here. 
If you look closely, Jesus isn't wrestling with this demon. He's not kind of fighting or like having to persuade him to leave. Jesus just asserts the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness has to flee. You've probably heard the phrase, don't wrestle with pigs because you'll get dirty and the pigs enjoy it. And that's what it's like with, with kind of evil spiritual forces as they want to get you into a fight. Because the reality is they know that we're more powerful than them. They know the kingdom of God is more powerful than they are. And so they're actually scared of us asserting the kingdom. And so when they can just kind of get us into a petty little fight, they are winning. And yet Jesus is, is just asserting the kingdom of God. And we're seeing the kingdom of God start to just, com, com, just start k- taking ground. The kingdom of darkness has to back down. It continues. It says, this, after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. And we need to get into the mindset of the people at the time. It was well kind of believed at the time that, again, these spiritual forces were responsible for illnesses. Now, again, I don't want to get into this idea that if you're sick, it's because demons are attacking you. We're not at that point. But there was an understanding that there was, there was influencing. There was just kind of little just shifting of situations that kind of created atmospheres where people were more likely to get sick. And so by starting to heal people, what Jesus is demonstrating is the kingdom of God not only kind of forces the kingdom of darkness to flee, but it undoes the works of the kingdom of darkness. That all of the little kind of influences and things, the kingdom of God just unravels all of that. And we could go on for a much longer, working all the way through the gospel, unpacking all the different stories of just how incredible the kingdom of God is. Even still in this first chapter, we go on to read about how Jesus heals a group of lepers. And this is not only an incredible physical miracle, because he heals them of their disease, but it's an incredible relational miracle. Because people with leprosy were outcasts. They weren't allowed to hang out with other people. They weren't allowed to speak or to touch to other people because there was this fear that they would kind of infect everyone else. And yet in this moment, Jesus comes in and he touches these people with leprosy, with no fear of them infecting him, and just saying, look, I see you. I want to have relationship with you. I care about you. And so we see the kingdom of God, while the kingdom of darkness might want to break up relationships with people and with people and God, the kingdom of God is about restoring relationships. It's about bringing people together. And as we see, it's powerful. There was nothing stopping Jesus' way. He was just asserting the kingdom of God, and all of this stuff was breaking out. And I mean, this is the good news. This is the gospel. I could probably stop right there, and that would still be just an incredible message. This idea that we are part of the kingdom of God that, un- that forces the kingdom of darkness to flee, that unworks and unravels the works of the kingdom of darkness, and begins to restore relationships. That is incredible. But we're not stopping there. I'm only about 10 minutes in. So we get to our second point, kingdom ministers. 
And see, when we think about kings, we can often think that kings lead on their own, right? They're making all the decisions. You pick, uh, pick an English king like Henry VIII, he was quite authoritative. Like he was, what he said went. But even someone like Henry VIII, he's not actually making all the decisions. He's not counting all the coins to make sure his, his kingdom's got enough money. He's not the one actually planning out all the fights and all the battles and all the wars that he's going to be fighting. He's not organizing all the feasts. See, Henry VIII would have had a group of advisors around him, a group of ministers that would, he would have said that this is what I want to happen, but they would be the ones responsible for actually making it work. We see a similar thing in our politics today. You have the, the prime minister who is in charge of the country, who theoretically is in charge of uh, kind of setting culture and setting vision. This is where we're going to go as a country. But then surrounding the prime minister is a, a cabinet, a cabinet of ministers who have different responsibilities, different areas they're in charge of, that they kind of take the, the, the vision and the, the will of the the prime minister and kind of outwork it in their particular area. And what I find particularly exciting is uh, we see the same in how God rules in the Old Testament. And we don't always notice it, but there are a number of times where we see kind of God sitting on a throne as king, but he's surrounded by heavenly beings that kind of play this role of like a cabinet meeting. And one of my favorite examples is uh, in 1 Kings 22. And it's uh, during a time where the people of God, they've, they've split into two nations. It would be a little bit like if Scotland kind of had said yes to leaving. I told you we'd be talking politics. Um, but just so you've got an idea, that, that's what it would be like. And so in the north, you've got King Ahab. And in the south, you've got King Jehoshaphat. And at this point, the two nations have been split for quite a while. So they've kind of come back and got an uneasy kind of friendship going again now. And uh, these two kings decide to go war with, I believe it's Aram. You might need to have to double check that. But they, they decide, look, we want to go to war with this other nation. We'll do it together. And uh, King Jehoshaphat in the south is like, well, let's check with the prophets first. Let's see what they say. And King Ahab in the north, he's got a whole host of, of prophets that worship various different gods. And so we ask them, like, what do you think? Are we going to win this war? And they're like, yeah, it's going to be incredible. Go for it. You're going to kick butt. It's going to be amazing. And Jehoshaphat's like, ah, do we have any prophets of, like, the real God? You know, the God of our ancestors, the God that we're meant to be worshipping. And uh, Ahab's like, well, we do. But he never really says what I want him to say. <laughs> So they bring out this guy, they bring out Micah, and there's a bit of back and forth. And then Micah so, uh, suddenly goes, well, look, this is what I saw. I saw God sitting on a throne, and I saw him surrounded by heavenly beings, by his cabinet ministers. And God said, look, King Ahab needs to go. I've given him a trial, but he's not leading this nation how I need him to. And so he needs to go. How are we going to do it? And so the Bible says that the... Each of the kind of heavenly beings steps forward and goes, oh, what if we tried this? What if we tried this? We could do it this way. And then finally, one of the heavenly beings steps forward and he goes, I've got it. What we'll do is I will convince his fake prophets to tell him, yeah, it's all right. Go to war. And he'll go to war and then we'll get a rogue arrow to catch him and kill him off. And God's like, brilliant. Love it. Let's do that. And so Mike is telling this story. And uh, Ahab's like, oh, see, I told you. He never tells me what I want to hear. 
stick him in prison. We'll deal with him after the war. And so he goes off to war, and inevitably he gets hit with a rogue arrow and dies. And what I think is really interesting about this story when I read it is this idea that the, the god of the universe that's spinning all the plates, that could click his fingers and make whatever he wants happens, is willing to partner with these, these heavenly beings. We'd, we'd refer to them as angels. He's willing to partner with them, and he's the one setting the vision. He's the one saying, look, this is what I want to happen. But he's letting these guys decide how it happens. It's some, some random kind of angel that goes, oh, I've got an idea. And God goes, oh, I like that. Let's do that. I think that's, that's incredible that this God is willing to partner with these, these heavenly beings. But it doesn't stop there. Now, you're going to have to indulge me. I am a Bible college student, and so there was going to be a little bit of Bible nerdery that was going to appear in this preach. If you feel like you're getting a bit lost, that's fine. Just focus on the end point. Ignore the workings out. If you feel like you can follow, then hopefully this will help you connect the dots and hopefully show you that I'm not preaching some kind of heresy, because this may be new to some of you. So we've already established, at least I hope I've established, we have divine cabinet ministers. We've got these people, these divine beings around God that are helping him lead his kingdom. Now, these, these cabinet ministers had various titles in the Old Testament. The one I want us to focus on this morning is Holy Ones. There we go. And, uh, and so if you read Holy Ones in the Old Testament, and it's referring to angels or spiritual beings, these are the guys that are being talked about. Now, as many of you will know, the Old Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew. So the Hebrew word for this is Kedashim. Boom. Everyone say Kedashim. Kedashim. I like it. So to keep it very simple, we've got these divine cabinet ministers they're known as the Kedashim. We come forward a few years and we get to the New Testament period. They're no longer kind of reading or speaking in Hebrew. They're writing and speaking in Greek. And so they go, well, we need some Greek words to explain these Hebrew ideas. And so they take Kedashim, they turn it into a Greek word, Hagioi. And so now we're talking about Haggai, and Haggai is still referencing these, these divine cabinet ministers, we're just now in a different language. And so Haggai is the word that we use, and Haggai appears a lot in our New Testament. But we don't notice it, because we don't translate it as holy ones, and this time it doesn't refer to spiritual beings. When you see Haggai in the English, what you see is the word saints. And this is a bit I want you to, to come back into. Every time you read the word saints in your New Testament, particularly when it's Paul speaking, every time you read the word saints, what Paul is saying or any of the other writers is that heavenly cabinet meeting, those, that kind of group of ministers that God had in the Old Testament, you are now part of that. You are now part of the ministers that lead and expand this kingdom. When you become a believer or a follower of Jesus, you're not just a citizen in this kingdom. You're not just kind of going about your day enjoying the fruits of this kingdom. You are actively part of leading this thing. Which, again, just blows my mind. That the incredible, mighty God, spinning all the plates, can click his fingers and make what happens, chooses you and I to take part in leading this thing. And just like the angels, he's setting the vision, but he is more than happy to partner with us in working out the how. He's not trying to enforce, like, this is how we need to do it. He's like, right, this is what I want. Any ideas? He's wanting to partner with that. Blows my mind. 
And the exciting thing about the kingdom of God, and I want to be clear, I'm not making any political statements here. I'm just trying to give you examples to make you, help you understand. But say you took a role in, in the cabinet, uh, like the Ministry of Health. You've got the role, and then you've got someone filling that role who maybe doesn't really fit that role very well, right? They're maybe not doing a very good job, or they've not got the skills, or whatever it is. The great thing about the kingdom of God is that God made the role, and he made you. So you know that whatever role he's giving you is a perfect match. You don't have to worry if you're equipped or you know what you're doing. God's got that all in plan, which is incredible. And so for, for some of you, maybe your role is he's, he's got ministries, whole ministries that he's got waiting inside of you, ready for you to, to birth and to, to bring to life. Maybe for others, it's just that he's calling you to be an incredible representative for the kingdom in your communities, in your families, wherever it is. For most of us, it will be a mixture of the two. But so I really want us to kind of understand this, this role that we have. We are kingdom ministers, not just kingdom citizens. We are kingdom ministers, which brings us to our third and final point, kingdom responsibilities. And this is really where I want us to, to focus, because this is the practical I love my theology. I love all of the stuff that I study at Bible college. But for me, if it doesn't come down to practical application, what good is it to us on a Sunday and in our week? And so let's really make this practical. Now, the problem with responsibilities is it's kind of become a little bit of a dirty word for many of us. Is that when we think of responsibilities, they can be overbearing. They're like, oh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. They can be sometimes expectations that we can never kind of live up to. And this is a shame. Because I really believe that responsibilities are designed to inspire us, to give you something to work towards, to encourage us. I believe that purpose is really just another word for responsibility. God has given you a purpose, something he wants you to achieve for your life. That is, a, in many ways, a responsibility. I was having a, a conversation with someone a, a few weeks back, and they were getting really quite upset. Because earlier that, that day, they'd kind of... They'd kind of blown up in a situation. They'd got frustrated or angry and they'd lashed out in the moment and they'd sworn and all this stuff. We've all been there. Well, I know I have. But so this person had lashed out in this moment and now kind of a little bit later, they were just kind of really upset with themselves because they were like, I shouldn't behave like this. I'm meant to be a Christian. Christians don't act like this. We're meant to blah, 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 blah. And they were just beating themselves over the kind of the head with, with how much they'd kind of failed in this area. And as I was listening to them, I was thinking, ah, this is just so wrong. Because this isn't what responsibilities are meant to be. And as I was thinking it through, I realized that too often responsibilities are a should for us. That I should be this, I should be that. But the issue is we can never live up to a should. We always fall short of a should, right? It's always focused on where we failed. And even on the odd times where we do meet the expectations of a should, there's probably normally another should somewhere else it's like yeah but what about this area right it's always focused on the on the negatives on where we failed and so we just end up beating ourselves over it so let's take this same example you've you've lashed out in a moment you've got frustrated you've you've said things that you regret and you focus on the shoulds you focus on i shouldn't be like this i should be like this blah blah blah, blah. and you're beating yourself up now let's change it Let's, instead of focusing on the should, let's focusing on the wants. So same situation, you've messed up and you recognize that you've messed up because that's an important part. And you go, okay, this is what I've done. But actually, this is where I want to be. And I believe that just this little change like that begins to change how we think about the situation. 
So rather than focusing on what, where we failed, we focus on how can we get a little bit closer to this next time? Okay, maybe I need to, before I open my mouth, just breathe and process. Maybe I need to, whatever it is, maybe I need an outlet, a healthy outlet somewhere else so I don't blow up in this situation. Whatever it is, we start to think, how can I work closer to what we want rather than what I should be? And the thing is, it's the same responsibility, but we're just framing it slightly differently. We're thinking about it slightly differently. And I believe it completely changes what responsibility is. Rather than something we can beat ourselves over the head with, it becomes something to inspire us, to encourage us, to move us forward. And the thing is, the language that we use actually doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a mind shift thing. It's how we think about these situations. And this isn't an overnight fix. It's not a case of, oh, I've changed how I, I use the word want and I don't use the word should. Boom, there you go, I'm sorted. This is one of those day in, day out, you have to remind yourself, no, I'm not focusing on where I failed. I'm focusing on where I'm going. But I believe if we can begin to start changing this little, little part of it, responsibility can be something that encourages and inspires us forward. So bringing it back to kingdom responsibilities. If we've got this incredible role that God has given us to be part of leading and, and running this kingdom, making it happen, that comes with responsibilities. We have responsibility to make that happen. And so again, let's come up with a very practical example. You're in a family or a friend situation, and someone said something. It may have been something rude. It may have just been something they just said off the cuff. But someone's got offended of it. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Anyone been there? So we're all, we're all kind of can imagine this situation. And what happens is, is that kind of pride gets involved, and we start focusing on, or those involved start focusing on where they've been hurt, and so they start lashing out, and then the other person gets like, oh, you're not listening to me, blah, 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 blah. And before long, the chaos and the destruction and the disconnection involves in what is really quite a mundane situation, quite a day-to-day situation. But in that small moment, relationships are getting broken and getting heated. The kingdom of darkness is really getting what it wants. And then you walk into that situation, a kingdom minister with the kingdom of God and the responsibility to bring that into the moment. And so you have a choice in that moment, a responsibility in that moment, am I going to allow myself to get caught up in the, in the pride and in the hurt and allowing this kind of myself to lash back and, and all these things? Am I going to partner with the kingdom of darkness? Or am I instead going to bring peace into this situation? Am I going to try and bring down the pressure, make sure that people feel heard, make sure that people feel seen, allow that kind of relationship to reconnect? In doing so, partnering with the kingdom of God, bringing the healing, bringing the relationships back in to line. And the thing is, these can seem like such small situations that we we just kind of don't really notice them. We just go, oh, it's one of those. And we kind of think that when we have to bring the kingdom of God, it's the big things. I need to be on the streets healing and praying for people, prophesying, like all of those big things. But the reality is I've seen many people, and it makes me quite sad, I've seen many people who on the front are these great men and women of God that do the big things that are on people on streets healing and kind of preaching great messages and all these things. But then you see them in their personal lives. You see them in the small mundane day to day. And they're not partnering with the kingdom of God. They're not bringing peace and love and, and connection and healing into their day-to-day moments. It's, it's arguments and disconnection and, and all of this. And the reality is if we can't get the basics, the little day-to-day moments right, 
we haven't got any chance to do the big, the incredible things. And so as we're thinking through this, I really want us to start taking responsibility for those little moments, recognizing actually, how can I bring the kingdom of God in this small moment? It may seem kind of stupid. It may seem like, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm tired and it's nine o'clock and I've had a long day. But actually, we have a responsibility even in those moments to, to bring the kingdom of God. And the reality is we're going to fail at times because we're human. We do. There are going to be times where it's been a long day and you're going to lash out and then you're going to feel bad. But we're not framing it about how we failed. We're focusing on where we want to be. And so, again, in those moments where you do end up kind of not quite partnering with the kingdom of God how you wanted to, it's thinking, okay, God, this is where I failed, but this is where I want to go. How can I do this better next time? And the, great, the best way to do this is to clean up your mess. And so you've lashed out, you've hurt someone, you've partnered with the kingdom of darkness. It's recognizing, okay, this is where I've gone wrong, apologizing and kind of repenting to God, and then going to that person you've hurt and say, just apologizing, saying, look, I recognize that I've made a mistake here. And, and again, it's one of those moments which can so easily slip through the cracks because we can justify it. We can let our pride come in. Well, I didn't really mean any of that. They took it out of context. Blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, someone else is hurt by something we've said or done, whether we meant it or not. And if we're going to really be part of the kingdom of God, we're going to take responsibility for that and bring healing and restoration where we can. Amen? And this is, a, this is an area where God has really been doing a number on me this, over this last year. And I mean, being really honest, just like really doing a number on me. Because I've, I've always had a very strong sense of what is right and what is wrong. And particularly in a Bible college, you start seeing people not live how you think they should do. You're like, well, you're, you're, you're saying that you're called to work for God. You shouldn't be doing this. And so... If I'm honest, I got very controlling in my, my first year and the first half of this, this year. Where I was just like, look, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, blah, 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 laying down the law. And people were getting hurt. Now, I could justify it. I could be saying, well, but this is what the Bible says. I'm not saying anything the Bible isn't saying. But the reality is how I was going about it was hurting people. And so there were a number of people at my Bible college that really did not like me. That really, I like, that we even had a, a young girl, bless her, I'm not proud of this at all, who we go on a mission trip every year, and she was going to come to Iceland with me this year. And uh, I only found about it well after the situation, but she actually said to our, uh, our kind of team leader, can I switch to a different mission trip? Because I can't stand being around Brent. Right, these are, we, we can stand in our pride, we can stand in, well, I've done the right thing, blah, 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 blah. But these are the effects we have on people. This is the impact of what we do. And so God's been really challenging me in this area. And I was like, look, I'm going to go through all these people, long old list, and just go around and just apologize. And just say, look, what I did was wrong. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want you to be hurting. I don't want you to be frustrated. Let me apologize. Help me. Let me kind of begin to repair this relationship bring the kingdom of God in. And I was really blown away by just how, again, these were small little conversations I had. It didn't take a huge amount of part of my effort, but just how quickly the kingdom of God broke in those moments. How just rapidly it went from being genuinely hated in some cases to people kind of like over the next few weeks calling me up and going, oh, do you might, would you like be able to come over and hang out? I've got some stuff I'm working through and, and I'm chatting. They seem like small moments, but these small moments have big 
big impact. And so I believe if we are called to be part of this kingdom of God, if we are willing to recognize that we are ministers in this and not just in citizens, but we are actively making this happen, then we're going to recognize we need to take responsibility for these little moments. And it's a kingdom principle that if we are faithful in the little, God will give us the big things. So if there are things, big, big things in your life, they're like, God, I want to be doing this for you, and I want to be doing this for you, that's great. I believe that that's part of the, the purpose and the role that he's given you. But before you can get to the big things, you need to learn to be faithful and responsible for the little things. And so as you're going about your, your week, as you're going about your day-to-day things, it's situations with people, be constantly asking, God, how can I bring your kingdom in the little ways today? How in my conversations can I take responsibility for my side of the, the deal? How can I make sure that I'm bringing peace and restoring relationship and not bringing friction so that that kingdom of God can start to really spread in our land? Amen? Because Amen. I believe that the, just in these, I know I keep saying it, but I really believe that as we take land, even if you only take an inch a day, over a year, that's a lot of inches. I think we underestimate how much little things over a long period of time can make a big difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that it it undoes the works of of pride, of of disconnection, of chaos. We thank you that it is about relationship, restoring relationship, restoring healing and wholeness. And we thank you that we get to be part of that. We thank you that you trust us with this, to take part in this. And so we pray you, you give us the wisdom as we go about our day-to-day lives, to see how we're impacting these, these different areas. We pray you give us the boldness to take responsibility, humble us where we need to be humble so we don't let pride rise up, and let your kingdom come in this place. Let your will be done in Newark, Lord, so it can be transformed, that lives can be transformed. In your name, amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.